right, week four. Um, yeah, I think this has been communicated multiple times. If you would fill out this and you can give it back to us. I'm just thinking next week. I mean, it doesn't, you can fill it out at home. If you really want to, you know, fill it out and, um, and do it today, you can leave it on that green chair. Um, we won't be looking at it between now and next week, so there's no real rush. Uh, but today we get to cover some real nuts and bolts parts of like what it practically means and what it practically looks like to be a member at Orlando Grace Church. Um, so I'm just going to walk through some some things that mark us, some some questions that we often get asked. But I also, this is another one of those sessions I padded a little bit for questions. So I've, um, there's some flexibility here to, if you want me to elaborate more on something or explain something that you don't feel like has been touched yet, uh, this would be a good good time to, to do that. All right, so we have uh, a music ministry philosophy. We'll start with music. Um, <clears throat> We have five marks that we try to, uh, to hit in our music. Um, the first mark is that it would be congregational. I always say the main instrument that, that we're trying to play on a Sunday morning are the people. Um, my, uh, and I know I'm being recorded. Let me, let me say this in a careful way. I have some people close to me from a very good church in town who has a different philosophy of music, and, and theirs is that the noise would drown out however loud you could sing, and they would say that encourages singing. And, and so I'm not, you know, I'm, I get that philosophy. That's just not our philosophy. You know, we, we want when we sing to somehow mirror the, what's going to happen in, in heaven, um, that there will be this resounding voices praising God. And, and this person who's very close to me, uh, said, wow, I've just never, never been in an environment where the musical philosophy is a bunch of off-key people singing very loudly. <laughs> um, but, but part of the music philosophy is that we would try to help everybody stay on key. And the, one of the ways that we do that is we sing songs that are knowable, so hopefully these songs, you know, every week we, w- we don't want to surprise you with four new songs or five new songs. Hopefully, you know, we know our canon well. Um, that, and then as we add songs, um, that we would do so in a way that would teach everybody how to add those songs. Um, and our hope is that we would take the best of the old and the new. So, I mean, we, there's a lot of really good stuff in, in the hymnals <laughs> that we want to be able to bring into our context and I'll get to context in a minute and I don't, I don't know how many songs are published new Christian songs every year I'm throwing a number out there let's say a thousand new songs are published I'm guessing two or three merit being sung in a church and so you know we want to be able to have somebody who has the time and the skill to be able to say hey these are the these are the two or three songs and let's work on bringing them into the church so congregational knowable singable um there are some really good, there's some overlap between singable and congregational, but there's some really good songs that you'll hear on the radio that, uh, that just, we can't sing. <laughs> we, can't, we can't all do that. We, Mike and I know a guy, actually the, the musician from the church I came from, he's insanely gifted, and he puts out these albums that are just phenomenal, but we can never sing them in church because nobody can match the notes that, that he can hit. And so he has certain songs that he's, that he can sing, and then he writes other songs for the congregation to sing. Obviously, we want them to be true. <laughs> we want our words to be faithful to the teaching of the Bible. Um, 
it is funny. I've noticed over the years, sometimes certain words uh, will just be misprinted. And, it, and I remember very clearly, um, it was, it, it was um, thank you, God, for our sin. It was something like, something really bad like that. And it was just a misprint in the words, but the whole college crew was singing something like, thank you, God, for our sin. <laughs> so we really care that, uh, that what we sing is true. Um, and then contextual. And this is one of those words I really want to camp out on and define. Because um, people hear contextualized ministry, contextualized music, and, and we hear very different things. Um, does that make sense? Sorry, I, I know there's a question with the paper. I'm, I think oh, yeah. yeah, there's just two of the same. Okay, great, great. It's fine. Great. So if you've done it once, it's fine. Yeah. It's a confusing process. So contextualized music, contextualized ministry, what does this mean? If you go on my blog, I've got a, a longer thing on this, but um, I would think about it in terms of a continuum. So the context that we live in is obviously Orlando, 2019. Um, and we want to be appropriately contextualized in the way that we do things. We want, we're not doing things in a vacuum with no regard for our context. Um, I mean, at a very basic level, when I moved to Italy, we learned Italian. So that, that's contextualizing our ministry because we, they hear things in Italian. That's a very, obviously a very easy one to go after. But um, context probably doesn't affect any area of the church more than music. <laughs> um, and so you think about an under-contextualized music would be something that is so distant from the culture it would be shocking to walk into. So if we were to be singing old Latin um, you know, Latin hymns from the Middle Ages. Like that, that would be so far from our context. That would be the extreme of under-contextualized. And I would go so far, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, organs and things. Actually, I actually really like organs in some contexts. But, but that increasingly would be the under-contextualized side or somebody, you know, we we're saying only hymns, nothing new can come into the doors, only what's in the hymnal. That would be on the under-contextualized side. And when you're on the under-contextualized side, it's, I would say it's very faithful very faithful. I mean, good doctrine, good singing. Um, but what will likely happen when you get on either end of the spectrum, you suffer in terms of fruit. So on the under contextualized side, you don't suffer in terms of uh, quality of fruit. The quality is very good, but you suffer in terms of quantity because you're limiting how many people can have access to, to that music. And that's the reality we live in. So on the over contextualized side, you know, we, we don't want to just do whatever's popular, whatever's on the radio. You know, I mean, we don't want to go to an Imagine Dragons concert and be like, whatever they do there, that's what we're going to do here. Lasers and smoke. And you know, so we, we're, we're trying to figure out where is our niche in, in what we call appropriately contextualized music. Um, if I hit pause and then hit play again, will that seamlessly? Okay. Sorry, online. It says new recording too. You might have to edit. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So any questions on music at all? Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, expository preaching. Um, this is a term I, I know some of you are very familiar with. Some of you might not be familiar with it. I'm, I'm going to make a comment this morning, my, our philosophy of preaching has been tested in the past two weeks because our philosophy is that we would just expose people to the Bible. 
we, 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 and, and some people can mistakenly think expository preaching is verse by verse, every verse, and that's not expository preaching. Expository preaching is that the main point of the passage, whether that passage is one verse, whether it's a chapter, whether it's a whole book, that the main point of the passage would be the main point of the sermon. That's expository preaching. And so we, you know, some people take smaller sections, some people take larger sections. There's a guy named Mark Dever, uh, who's kind of, he literally wrote the book on expository preaching, and he uh, preached 66 sermons, one on each book of the Bible. And he, he, um, he was able to model expository preaching on entire books in one sermon. But that's what it is, and it, and it, it prevents us from, it makes us do some things and it prevents us from doing some things. It makes me hit everything that's coming, everything in the Bible. We can't just skip over things. And so this is what I'm talking about. Last week, the text was on adultery. This week, it's on a divorce and remarriage. If it was up for me, I want to skip that, <laughs> you know, especially with divorce. It's, all of us are connected to divorces and remarriages, and it's just, there's so much, uh, it's so emotional. We've all grieved it. So I, I would just rather skip it. <laughs> but Jesus has some things to say, so we're not going to skip it. Um, and then it prevents me from just camping out in the things that I'm excited about. You know, I mean, if it was just all up to me to pick passages every week, you'd start to see some trends that would not reflect the whole counsel of God. So our hope is to faithfully preach our way through books of the Bible. And I will say there are, within expository preaching, different philosophies. So some have like the John MacArthur philosophy of you start a book like Matthew and you just go for years and years and years until you finish. Um, that's not my philosophy. I, I, there's two reasons it's not. One, I would get bored. So that's just, that's on me. Um, two, I don't think that we're exposing people to the whole counsel of God that way. And so what I do, we're in Matthew right now, and we're in Matthew up until Easter. And wherever, well, I know where we're going to, we're actually going to go just a few weeks past Easter, but we're going to finish the Sermon on the Mount and hit pause. And then we're going to go through Joshua and go through, get in the Old Testament. And then after that, probably an epistle, and then we'll do Christmas. And then January next year, we're going to pick back up in Matthew where we left off. So it'll take us a while. We'll work through the whole book, but we're going to do it in seasons. Um, And I I got that from Tim Keller. He's the one who kind of popularized that. But so we're still doing expository preaching, but hopefully covering all genres of scripture in the course of a year. Any questions on expository preaching? All right. Giving. Uh, we've touched on this a little bit. I mean, obviously, the ministries of this church run on people's giving. Uh, I don't see who gives what. Mike doesn't see who gives what. Uh, we would. I'm just afraid I would treat you differently if I saw what you gave, and I don't want to. But, I mean, I can't communicate in, in strong enough terms. Like, we, you know, we, we want, if we want to buy that land, which you're going to hear about tonight, if we want to have, hire a music person, we're willing one day a youth person and, uh, you know, someone to oversee community groups, it just takes money. And so, you know, we need to all be pitching in. Uh, I give, Mike gives, we all give so that we can, so that we can further the mission of Orlando Grace Church uh, in the city. Um, there are different ways you can give. Obviously, you can give on Sunday, cash, in person. Increasingly, people are moving towards online giving. Um, there are, you can go, I think we have that, info. yeah, you can, you can see right there on the website. It's, we make that really accessible, <laughs> the, the give button. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, you can give however you want, but, uh, and, and that's not something that, 
you know, of all the membership commitments, that's the one thing that probably our elders are not going to monitor, we're not going to call you about, that really is between you and the Holy Spirit. But, but our hope is that, that you would be excited, you know, about, about this, where we're headed and want to help us to get there. I always joke, the moment we have to start beating the commitment drum, we've already lost. <laughs> So our hope is that you would really be behind what we're doing. And if you're not, then that's another conversation we need to have. And um, if you're not motivated to give, then, then there might be something on our end that we really need to wrestle through and, and either fix or explain. Any questions on giving? Okay. Philosophy of programs. So, um, you know, you have some churches that just have programs all over the place, and typically they're bigger programs. They're bigger churches that have more these programs because it's for two reasons. Um, the larger you get, the more kinds of people you have, and so if you have more people in a group, then then that lends itself to a, to a program. So if you get, you know, if you have two youth students versus two hundred, you know that that's gonna that's gonna change the way that you do programs. Um, so we would, and then you have, so you have churches that have the resources and the motivation to have lots of different programs, but then you have other churches that would just say, we don't do any programs, nothing Sundays, that's it. You know, we preach, we sing, we pray, nothing else. And so we would be somewhere in between those two camps. We would, um, we would say there are, we do have a strong value for certain programs. Um, and there are certain things as you're going to see, um, if you turn the page, um, certain things that are centrally planned and certain things that are organically created. So we have, and so the centrally planned things are the programs that fall on the shoulders of the staff. Now, obviously, we're limited. And we're always, you know, there's always some limitation by amount of money, number of staff, things like that. Um, and so we have decided that the children's ministry, that's going to be one of the things that we centrally program. Uh, the youth ministry, the missions committee, equipping hour, um, those are going to be ministry, and then obviously all the public worship stuff. Um, but those are going to be centrally coordinated ministries in this church. And then there are other things that, you know, you might come to me and say, Jim, I think we need to have a jail ministry. And I will say, that is a great idea. Go do it. <laughs> I think it's, and so we want to, you know, we want to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's our call. So with a lot of this stuff, if, you know, if, you, if your heart bleeds for youth ministry, then we're going to plug you into this thing. But if it's not one of these, these four or five things, we're going to say, I think you should do that. That really could be the call of God on your heart. Is there anything we can do to come alongside you in this, to pray for you, announce it, maybe find other people with this? Uh, with this passion. So right now, these would be things like women's ministry, men's ministry, the precepts Bible study. These are people who had a heart uh, to see something happen, and we're, we're fanning that flame. So they're, they're led by people who are not paid by Orlando Grace Church. So, you know, the reality is the larger a church grows, the more programs it develops. Um, but however, you know, whatever size our church is, our, our hope is to stay in that middle sweet spot of not being overly programmed and not being um, so under-programmed that we're not providing things that would be really a great resource. I remember when my kids were young, I was talking to an older, wiser RUF guy. That's the, the PCA college ministry. And, uh, and at that point in time, I was very on the under-programmed side of things, and I, I made some comment like, churches don't need to have youth ministries. They don't need to have youth ministries. It's the parent's responsibility. You know, they, churches don't need to be 
outsourcing parents' duties, and he looked at me and he said, I used to have your same view until I had high schoolers. <laughs> <laughs> and and he, his point was, listen, the parents are still in charge. The parents are still responsible. But there's a great blessing when a church can come alongside the parents. And, and you know, when you have Christian kids spread all over the city in, in some very non-Christian environments in many cases, to be able to come together and build friendships and have someone else <coughs> in addition to us speaking into their lives, it's a great blessing. Um, so that's where we hope to stay. Um, any questions on programs, any of the programs that happen here? Y'all are an easy class. It's a good, it's a good one to record. Maybe we would ask more questions if we weren't being recorded. Oh, <laughs> well, well that, that's, like I apologize. <laughs> I can't say, lost it's lost on me. <laughs> the Heisenberg Uncertainty Principles. Anybody know what that is? It's kind of looking your way. If anybody was going to, I was thinking it would be Johnny. Um, okay. Uh, community groups. How many of you have been to a community group? Here. Uh, well, I, yeah, I was meaning here. But how, how many have been in community groups in the past in other churches? So um, community groups, I, I've alluded to this here. It's, it's really important to us that, that we would be able to have community with other um, with other people in this church, ideally in our geographic parts of Orlando. I should have brought in, I have a map on my desk of, of Orlando and where all the members of the church live. And it's like, it's just, this, there's no, um, there's no consistency. It's all over Orlando because this, this church is not what you would call a community church. It's, it's a destination church. People tend to come here not because of our geography, but because of what we believe and how we do things. And so our hope is, you know, that people in you know, Maitland and Oviedo and Apopka and Conway would all be able to have a group of people that they're able to connect with. Um, you know, this is the area of our church that has had the least leadership over the past five years. To me, it's just a, a miracle that our community groups are doing as well as they are. And, and that's just thanks to some faithful men and women leading these community groups. Without any direction, they're, just, they're, they're doing it. And because of that, they're going to look a little different from each other. But our hope is that over the next 12 months, we would be able to have a plan to give more leadership to these groups, to be able to resource these groups, figure out, um, you know, where, where do people live and there are no groups and, and have a, a more proactive plan on when, you know, how big do they get? How do we multiply? How do we identify leaders? How do we, ident we identify hosts? There's a whole lot that needs to be done that we just simply don't have the capacity to do right now. Um, and, you know, this is purely Jim Davis talking right now, but... I would love as an aspect of a community group to be in a, in a community group. You know, I live in Domrick and to have a, you know, have people there who are thinking with me, how do we reach our community? It's not just inwardly focused, there's an outwardly focused too. We have neighborhood picnics and cookouts and you know, whatever we can do to try and get to know our neighbors and pray for our neighbors. And um, so I would love for that to be a component of community groups in the future. So that's, that's an area, it's a deep value that there, there's just right now, um, we're really trying to figure out how to fit that within our capacity. And, uh, and you can pray for that. I mean, we, we have some ideas that would be exciting. It's just, we just need God to make it work. Um, but it is our hope that you would, you know, if, should you decide to join this church, find a community group that you would, you would plug into. Um, 
pastoral care. So this is what Mike was alluding to. We have, um, is it seven elders? Seven right now. Mike and I are the only vocational elders. That means we have been freed up full-time to be able to elder. And we, it, we you know, we elder in our gifts. Mine are going to be, you know, obviously the, the teaching, um, the vision, the direction. Mike actually is a lot of vision and direction. He's establishing our um, our uh, core objectives and tactics and where we're going over the next year. Hopefully we'll see that at the, the second family night meeting. Um, he oversees all the executive functions of this church. He's able to help um, just help everything, all the needs to be met and, and in a way that's scalable. You know, So if we add 20 people, 30 people, 50 people, we have a, a structure that can grow with the church. Um, but all of you, should you join, will have an elder. You'll have somebody, an elder. I mean, again, we, we value, uh, we take this responsibility of knowing our people and shepherding them very seriously. So of the, the other five, so not Mike and me, every, the whole congregation is divided between those five. I think we're to the point where we need, we're going to need to add elders if we're going to provide the care that, that we want to provide. Um, but you'll be assigned an elder. And if your elder, say, is Chuck or Dan, um, they're going to they're gonna introduce themselves, ideally have a coffee with you or something so they know you. And if you, in, if you have anything that you need, prayer, crisis, whatever, ideally that elder would be really accessible to you. Now, that, let me say, that doesn't mean I'm not accessible. Obviously, especially in crises, I, I want to be there. I want you to call me. But um, I obviously can't do that for everybody. And this is, this is the, the Moses-Jethro principle playing out, that, that there would be other men who would, who would take the shepherding uh, seriously so that I could be freed up to spend 20 hours a week on a sermon and work with Mike on the vision. Um, so that's that the other elders are, uh, and you may not, may not know these names, you've seen Chuck and Dan in here, uh, Ted Herbach. You, you see the rest of these guys up on stage often, Will Powell and Kurt Bowerman. Those are the other five. And Lord willing, we're entering into a season where we're going to be adding some elders. Um, any questions thus far? And we can edit them out if we need to. Jeff, I thought at some point you'll go through it, but uh, Mike had alluded to women don't get ordained. Could you... Um, it's a good question. Yeah. What's the role of the woman? Or... So, we, I mean, we, we have a very, I mean, we want to have a very high view of women. And, and my, the view is that a woman can do anything an unordained man can, <laughs> which is a lot. I mean, it, it, an unordained, whatever an unordained man can do, a woman can do. Um, it seems pretty clear, I mean, Paul has rooted in creation uh, that that the the authority of the church would rest with these elders, which are men. And so, so that would be the one thing that in this church and most you know, PCA churches or Baptist churches, it's just, it's just so clearly marked out in Scripture that the, the office of elder is reserved for a man. But um, you know, anything else that is okay for an unordained man to do can be done by women. And I would go so far as to, and, and I wouldn't say you ref, it's reflected right now in this church, uh, but I would say, uh, obviously reading scripture, and I would, we, we're going to have, we have unordained men teach in certain capacities. And so I don't see, you know, and, and you'll see some really notable examples of this, like Elizabeth Elliot or um, Beth Moore, um, 
Paige Bitten Brown. These are really well respected female teachers in the reformed, yeah, the reformed, broadly reformed world. And they will go and they'll teach on a Sunday and they'll say, I'm here under the authority of the elders. And so, so really it's not even the teaching thing, it's the authority of the church. And so women come into certain churches and teach under the authority of the elders. That's never happened here, um, but, but that is my view. And, and we as elders are constantly fleshing out how this plays out here. And my hope is that we have, you know, people would walk in here and feel like there's a very high view of women and, and very high. We want to fan these gifts. We want to fan the flames. We have probably... <laughs> I mean, I would go so far as to say maybe the best Bible teacher in this church is a woman, <laughs> Kelly Simpson. I, I mean, and there, there are others that are that are with her, but I, she astounds me in her ability to teach the Bible. So we want to fan that flame. Um, but as for the actual office of elder, um, it seems clear in Scripture that's reserved for the, for a male, and uh, and so we just try to operate within the bounds that we see Scripture giving us, but. You know, I in the church that I come from. If you really want to, if you want to um, know more about my thoughts, I have a, I have a sermon from last summer at Grace Bible Church, um, and I and I would make the case that deacons could be women, um, and uh, right now that's not what OGC does. But I, you know, it's I'll say very briefly. There's nothing about the nature of a deacon that that a woman shouldn't do. I mean, it's, 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 it's a servant role. Um, and actually, if you look in your English Bibles and it says, uh, under the qualifications of an elder and then qualifications of a deacon um, and, and their wives, and it has these qualifications for the wives of a deacon. So first I'm like, wait, why, why does a deacon have, have to have his wife have these certain, you know, fit these certain things, but not an elder? So right off the bat, it's kind of weird. But if you look in the Greek, the word wives is nowhere in there. The word is just women. And so the translators have to figure out, well, what do we do with this word women? <laughs> is it a deaconess, which is a word that evolved later. They didn't have at that point when, when Paul was writing this. And I would say, yeah, it was, it was a woman in this capacity. Likewise, a woman in this capacity needs to dot, 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 dot. And so I come from a context that has women deacons. Again, that's not what OGC has historically done, but they're fine. They know that's my view. I, under my, in my vetting process, I made that very clear. I'm not going to, you know, I'm one of the elders, and I will, this is the view I will bring to the table. Um, and as a group, we will constantly decide uh, how that plays out here. Does that, and, and I know, I know that in this culture, just even just saying a, a, an elder can only be a man sounds so sexist and misogynistic and um and, and it seems to me the heart is just that, that there is such um there's such a burden of response that, that eldering is it, it's just a hard thing and god has has said that this shepherding burden lies with men um, and hopefully, as we try to shepherd people, we're constantly bringing women into the equation to give us help to speak into it. Um, you know, I don't think that a bunch of men in a silo are going to make the best decisions for the church. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm opening up a lot of doors here, and I know it, whatever side you're on, but I, I want to be... I want to, and I want this church to be a champion of lifting women up, of having a higher view of women than the surrounding culture. Does that answer your question? 
satisfactory, <laughs> satisfactorily. And we can talk more about that if you want. I'd be happy to. Yes. Yes. Great question. No, they are different offices. So elders are here to uh, to um, shepherd the flock, to bear the um, the shepherding burden, the responsibility of the authority in the church. Although the, the congregation elects the elders, so the ultimate authority actually is you because you pick the the elders. Uh, deacons, and you see this kind of evolution of this in, well, you could go back to, again, Moses and Jethro, but Acts 6, there's a specific issue in the church unfolding with these widows and the, the elders. It's causing them to not be able to shepherd the flock as well. They can't, they're having to take away from their teaching and their prayer. So the people, men in that case, were full of the Holy Spirit, raised up to take that specific service burden off of the elders. So the, the deacons exist to try and free us up to do what we're called to do. So the deacons here will, um, they, you know, facilities issues and uh, service teams issues, uh, children's ministry issues. These are all the very practical parts of the church that deacons exist to, you know, I, I, you know and I would, you know, in the context I come from, the the sound people, there's someone overseeing all of that that's a deacon, or wedding, someone over weddings, and my, my sister-in-law was the deaconess of weddings at my last church, and she over, when there was a wedding, she was the person who helped coordinate that, and uh, we had another friend who, um, a woman who was the deaconess of meals, so when somebody had need, she would coordinate the meals to provide for that need. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Other questions? All right. Um, involvement. Uh, we, we any given Sunday, it takes between fifty and sixty-five people to do everything that we do on a Sunday. So we're, we would hope that you'd be plugged in, not just to a community group, but in a service capacity. And there are a lot of ways that that can look. You can see on the next page, and you're going to hear from these people uh, in week. Is it six? Yeah. Yeah, week six this time. Um, you're going to hear from Amanda in the nursery, you're about music, Grace Kids, um, Sunday morning uh, service, uh, how to get people connected who are new, hospitality, audiovisual, missions, precepts, anchored youth. These are some of the ways that you can plug in.